This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. I am not flying solo. But I also don't have the beard with me today. He's out on the road making money so that I can sit here and record podcasts. I've got a better replacement, Mr. Brad Bolt from AmeriGuard Insurance in the great state of Minnesota. He has to deal with Troy Thompson. We won't hold that against him. And actually, I don't know if you know Dawn Bartley or not, but she's getting ready to walk into my office in about two minutes. So wow. she's down here visiting with her daughter and wanted to come by. So she's actually crashing at our house tonight, too. So pray for her. She has no idea what she's walking into. Yeah, she's actually on the podcast next week. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. One of my favorite one of my favorite people in the industry, too, man. Dawn is just so cool, so level-headed, has a has a really unique perspective on almost anything you talk to her about it about. So certainly looking forward to our time with, with visiting with her while she's in town, but that's not what we're talking about. Let's talk about what's going on with you, man. You launched a new podcast. Why don't you, uh, let's just get right into it. Talk about your uh, background a little bit before we get into the podcast, bring us up to speed. I'm not going to steal Scott Howell's DeLorean remarks or anything like that, but just sort of give us the background and, sort of how you got into the agency business. And then if you want, just lead right into what led you to be motivated enough to start a podcast. Yeah, I'll give a a real quick background. I started as a farmer's agent, did that for nearly nine years till I figured out I was miserable being a captive agent and knew that there would be a better way. I loved this business and, and discovered that I wanted to go independent. I tried to create my own independent agency, was having difficulty getting direct contracts. So I didn't know of networks or clusters at the time. So I looked for local agencies to join. I joined AmeriGuard Agency. They were close. There was another farmer's agent that had joined there. I really liked the owner that I had met with. So I joined AmeriGuard the end of 2006 ended up buying out the company in 2011. So that started my agency ownership journey and I've just been learning and growing and failing ever since. So, um, so yeah. It's funny, man. How long ago was that, that you went to try and leave when you left farmers? Yeah. 2006. 
Yeah. Well, I was 10 years behind you, man. It was 2016 when I launched Florida Risk and I still didn't know anything about aggregators. I had no clue they even existed. It was it was not until I got involved with IAOA and started actually meeting other agency principals and stuff that I knew that was even an option. Yeah, yeah, I had no idea. I I would have definitely went that route. And I probably would have made a mistake because I didn't know what I was doing. I would have just been excited to <laughs> to grab some markets. Right. It was which we're, what we were looking for at the time. I could only get progressive. Triple A was what gave me a market. And I had one other that was considering. But I knew that if I was going to go independent, I needed a full arsenal. So I found something elsewhere. So how did you get the opportunity to actually buy the agency out? That's got to there's got to be a story there. Yeah, there's a story. The I didn't know when I entered into the agency that the our owner, Ken, had had a terminal cancer. Ooh. He was given at whatever time it was, he was given four to six years to live. And so I went independent. I was loving it. I was writing business, growing. I was happy. It was fun. And then I don't know, it was 18 months, two years after I was involved in the business. And I had heard from someone else in the agency that, that Ken had this terminal cancer and had about three years left from what he was given. And so not too long after that, you know, I thought I had the capability to take over the agency or at least was willing to do so. So I started talking to him about purchasing the agency and I learned that he had no succession plan at all. So I have no idea what would have happened to us if, you know, if, um, if I hadn't purchased it. So I started working with you know, I said, Hey, why don't we at least just put, he loved the idea. He really liked me. And for the most part, he really cared about his people and he wanted to make sure that his people were taken care of. And, and I said, I, I can do that. Mostly I just wanted to keep my job and I wanted to keep doing what I was doing and felt confident enough that I could take over this and improve this operation. So I started working with his daughter, who is a high ranking corporate attorney, really, really sharp and um, to put a purchase agreement together. In the process of putting a purchase agreement together, um, Ken passed away, mm. which made it even more difficult then to kind of put the final touches on purchasing the agency. Throw into it Ken's daughter, who, who they were very, very close, and throw into it the emotion of you know the passing and trying to get rid of this large asset and what do we do with it? So that little did I know that was my first acquisition and it was a trying one, you know, I mean, basically buying out the business and we struggled our way through. And at the time we had no idea how to put a valuation together on an insurance agency. You know, we couldn't, we, we tried some banks figured out they had no idea. We tried some other local, agencies got somewhat of an idea. She was way high. I thought I knew there were some problems in the agency. So I had kind of a set amount in mind. Here's where I'm going. And we got the job done. And it was a it was a sale that I think we each thought that we got sort of a raw deal. So it was probably a pretty good deal. So that's how, you know, kind of 10,000 foot view of, of that purchase. Well, and then I see you had Carrie Wallace on your podcast recently. If only you had known her then. <laughs> <laughs> right. If I only if I had known her then, if I had known her then, my agency would be in a much better place than it is now. 
I can yeah, tell you that. You know, but look, man, we can all say that too, right? Yeah. I'm going through this issue right now at, at our agency where I'm going to spend, I'm going to have to spend a bunch of money to do it, but I've hired Peggy Corbett from Agency Transform to come in and just go freaking ballistic on our Hawksoft because we're so heavily sales centric that we live in our CRM and our Hawksoft has never been a preferred tool. Like the the producers don't want to deal with it. And so it's sort of become the redheaded stepchild. Now I am happy to know that when she went through and did the first deep dive to look at things, it wasn't as bad, you know, as what I thought it was going to be. I figured it was going to be much worse than what it was just because you hear so many horror stories from people about how bad their data gets, if it's not being mind, you know, paid attention to and everything. And so we brought Peggy in to kind of just make sure everything's set up right, put the processes, even things as simple as having files named in a consistent fashion across the board. Like these are things I suck at, man. Yeah. yeah. I'm the last guy in the world that you want to have come in and do that job. Like I just, you know, even, even from a CSR or an account manager position, I'm terrible for training a CSR account manager. I've never yeah. sat at the desk. What do, what level of authority do I have to teach these people how to do a job I've never done before? And so she's going to be able to not only help us with the um, Hawksoft stuff, but she's able to help us with our, you know, train our virtual professionals that we have from Savitel to do that. So like one of my goals, and I know that you have a, a VP from Savitel. We both know Troy. One of my things is, at the end of this year, man, 100% of my service stuff, if it doesn't require somebody here to pick up the phone and call and deal with a client, it's going to Savital. I don't care if I have 8, 10, yeah. 12 virtual professionals. So we're really at the ground ground level of us defining what the process is going to be. And then I'll just keep her on retainer. And every time I add a couple of VAs, she'll, she'll train them exactly mm-hmm. the same really? way. And I hired a, um, you know, I brought two people in at the first of uh, February. And one of those young ladies is going to actually be what I would consider the leader of this initiative over in Pakistan, because I don't, you know, if we have 10, 10 virtual people, I can't deal with 10 individual calls, man. It's just not yeah. going to happen. I need one call that I can have with somebody that's going to be able to dr- you know, drive whatever needs to be driven over there. And then, I can hold them accountable. They can hold everybody else accountable. I will compensate her at a different level as a result of that. But, you know, I've talked to probably a half dozen people and every single one of them has sung Peggy's praises. She only does Hawksoft. She doesn't do any other agency management system, but the people in Paradiso, Chris Paradiso is one of the people who recommended her to me. He and I are really good friends. And he was in the same spot that I was probably five or six years ago. And he brought her in and he told me that she just ran, just did absolute wonders for his agency. So I'm, I'm kind of looking, I mean, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I'm a little bit apprehensive because I don't know how bad it's going to end up being for me as far as workload, but it's where we're at, man. Cause I need to be at a point. I was talking to Carrie Wallace, you know, about it when I was with her a couple of weeks ago. And I told her, I said, I'm, I want a valuation in 24. I can't get there yet. I got to make sure all of this stuff's tightened up and then I'm going to call you in. Then you can pick me apart, but I'm not going to make your job easy. If you came in today, you wouldn't even have to work. So I had an about, I had a valuation and I knew it. I knew I had some things that weren't tightened up, but I just wanted to find out where I was at. And is this, is this after now you, this is you owning Amerigard now? Yeah. 
Yeah, okay. I just I just went through it last year with Carrie. Okay. So kind of going back to when I owned or when I took over as owner of Amerigard, I, I would more so take consider myself. I was a full-time agent that owned an insurance agency. I owned a business, but I wasn't a business owner. It's the worst, you know, which is kind of referencing the podcast. That's where that idea really came about was that's something I have experience in is being an agent, being an agency owner, but not being a business owner. So instead, I, and until I really started to look at the agency as a business and run it like a business, I wasn't going anywhere. Well, it so. is this look, man, I'm a hundred percent on board with you and I'm driving yeah. the bus for that matter. You know, I I've done middle market commercial production since the day I walked into the industry. I'm good at it. I'm yeah. not saying that to be cocky or arrogant, no, right. but that's that's my skill set. I, I pride myself on doing a really good job at that. When you go from that to now you're running an agency and you've never you've never been responsible for the service team, you've never sat at the desk to understand what the workflow looks like, you're generally allergic to an agency management system as a producer, <laughs> you want to stay out of it, you know, and you and you you're now all of a sudden it's not even just you have to utilize these things, but you're responsible for them and you're responsible for everything else that goes into yeah. it and the lives of everybody else that's on the bus with you. That's a really, I mean, that's a really humbling thing to go through because producers typically have pretty high self-confidence. You know, we think we're good at what we do. And as a result, we tend to be perceived as maybe more flamboyant or more cocky or whatever else that I can tell you in my heart, that's not the case. It may be the way I'm yeah. perceived. I can't really do anything to control that other than try and get to know people, but it's humbling, man, when you're like the guy that's driving the revenue and everybody's loving the fact you just closed another account for the agency and they're ringing the bell and celebrating. And the next thing you know, you're sitting in the dining room of your house figuring out how do I get carrier contracts? Where am I going to get E&O? Well, you know, agency management system, screw that. We can run this thing off of Excel for the first six months. I'm not going to write enough business to have to worry about capturing any of that. That's a really wild place to be. And that's why I think your podcast is such a great topic because there are a lot of producers out there. Listen, if you're an agency principal, you're probably getting ready to get pissed off at what I'm getting ready to say. That's fine. <laughs> at the end of the day, you have to take care of the producers that are in your operation. And just like you have to take care of your entire staff. You don't need to show any preferential treatment, but this is the revenue for the agency. And I think a lot of the times producers get, sh they, they just, Agency principals don't take the time to educate and explain and, and give the why, right? Yeah. I'm a huge believer yes. in if you're going to explain something to somebody, tell them, don't just tell them what, don't just tell them how, tell them why. When people understand why you need them to do something the way you're asking to do it, they're going to, it's going to stick. They're going to buy in better. But yeah. what do we hear, man? Well, why, mommy? Because I said so. <laughs> and that's why we run our agencies, right? It's, it's because this is the way we've always done it. This, because I said so, instead of saying, well, the reason we've done this is because, and lay it out. Here's the problem. I don't think agency principals want to get feedback on that because mm. I hire the type of people, and I'm sure you do too, but I hire the type of people in my agency that if I tell them the why and it doesn't make sense and they think they have a better way, they're empowered to actually say something about it, right? Yeah. I want to hear what they have to say. Yeah. I think for the most part, you know, I think that happens to so many of us most of us started off as producers and we were, we're hyper-focused on growth. That's what we're driven. 
customer service isn't our specialty, but we want to grow. We want to win that account. Before you know it, five years goes by and you have a team and you've just kind of limped along. And now you've got problems that you're trying to discover solutions for instead of building a solid foundation from the beginning. And we don't know this when we're going into it. I didn't know it, you know, instead of building a solid foundation of having processes of good hiring practices of somewhat of a financial background. You know, for me, I had my head down for seven years as an agency owner, just trying to grow and just, you know, answer some questions, you know, here and there and letting Sally do it her way over there in the customer service desk and letting Katie do it over, you know, do it how she wants to do the accounting practices. Before you know it, I have no processes. I have no written processes. I don't know what a PL looks like, PL looks like, or how to read it. And I didn't adapt from the changing times and the evolution of our industry, you know, since 2011. So I guess the podcast is centered around trying to help develop better business owners and thinking about that on the front end rather than, you know, on the back end. I heard you say one time, this is many years ago, that. I started this thing with the end in mind, which you must be in the 1% that thought of it that way, right? (laughs) No, you know what, man? I'm just one of those weird people. I always have thought backwards. I mean, in everything that I do, I think backwards and I'll elaborate on that in a minute. I don't want to interrupt. Yeah, no. Okay. But, but even with that, and you've just laid out some of the deficiencies of whether it's, you know, management systems or, or whatever, it's hard to think of everything. And you, don't, oh, yeah. you, and you don't know, you don't, you don't know what areas you need to improve on, but sorry, go ahead and elaborate what, what you want to elaborate. Yeah, on. no, I mean, I think that um, I always think that way because to me, it's easier to reverse engineer things than it is to figure it out as you go. Right. To your point, I think a lot of times I was talking to my buddy, Josh Gurley about this, you know, yesterday we were, we were going back and forth because our wives both have very expensive shopping habits at this point. And we were kind of joking with each other about it. And somehow the conversation came up. I don't know if it was in his in-laws or whatever, but he was talking about his in how frugally his, his in-laws or his parents, I don't remember which live. They have enough money to buy whatever they want, but they, you know, they still shop at TJ Maxx. They yeah. still, you know, wear glasses with with tape on them instead of going and buying new glasses or whatever. And I said, you know what, man? I said, that's why they have money to go to whatever they want, right? And I told him, I said, the thing is, you and I are not wired that way. I said, I've always been of the mindset, ah, screw it. I'll just sell my way out of it, right? I'll just go write another account or I'll just go prospect harder. And if I've made a bad decision that's cost me money, that's always been the answer is I could just go generate more revenue because that's where my skill set is. Instead of sitting back and taking a hard look in the mirror and say, okay, where's money going? Where are we missing efficiencies? What are things that I have control of in this operation? that I can actually make an impact on. And I mean, even the thinking backwards thing is as simple as what we teach producers and how to plan their business, right? I want them to tell me, how much do you want to make this year? Just tell me what that is. As soon as we know what that number is, we can start from that and work all the way backwards using commission splits and conversion percentages in each of the stages in the pipeline. And ultimately, I'm going to tell you exactly how many emails you need to send, how many phone calls you need to make, how many doors you need to knock on, on a daily, weekly, monthly, and annual basis. And it's going to get you to your goal. 
But so many times we just kind of just throw a number out there. I'm going to write a hundred thousand in in revenue this year. Great. I don't care what you're going to do. I want to know how you're going to do it. Right. Right. Without a plan in place, obviously it's not going to happen. hundred percent, man. So what would you say? So you, you know, you had the farmer's agency, so you had a leg up on me right out of the box. Yeah. Right. You had that, but I mean, you go in, you know, obviously under less than optimal circumstances for a variety of reasons, you find yourself owning this agency now, which is, you know, I'm sure you wanted to, it's not like you begrudgingly bought right. it, but yeah. it probably, I mean, I can understand what a grueling process it would be with everything that you mentioned going through, like what hit you between the eyes first? Like what was the biggest thing that you realized when you had that first, Oh crap moment with the, I'm the agency owner, here's a problem. But then also you had the power to fix it without really having to go and talk to anybody or get permission. I'm interested in, in what you, what surprised you the most. The first thing was that I know I'm responsible. Uh, now I'm responsible for the problems. Now I'm responsible for these employees. Like these people, um, their, their livelihood in some cases depended on my business. And so that was something I took very seriously, which then I've always taken it very seriously as, as, as being a leader. And that was the very first thing that hit me. In fact, the very first thing that I did, I had a producer there that was very careless. And the uh, closing of the uh, business went through on a Friday. I met with him Saturday morning to lay out because I knew I knew how careless he was. In fact, I was dealing with an E&O claim before I was even the owner and it was by him and it was just a, just careless acts. So I met with him and said, you know, I, I can't, we can't operate this way and I won't be responsible for this. So it was, um, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll change. Well, I ended up firing him years, not years later, months later, uh, about four months later, I, I actually learned that he was not only careless, he was criminal. So I got to deal with the Department of Commerce, which was, and I, man, it was baptism by fire when I took over. I, I had two E&O claims, uh, Department of Commerce investigation. We had a real hard market. Rates were going up like crazy. And it was that first year. I don't know how I got through it, but I do believe it may be stronger. I can agree with that, man, for sure. If it doesn't kill you, it is going to make you stronger, but good grief. I mean, we get tested almost on a daily basis for those first few years. Well, and it was a good lesson to say, to, you know, to the rest of our, you know, producers to say, this is how we're going to do it, you know, in terms of documentation and, you know, that we're not going to, not going to tolerate any unethical behavior. And it has to be by the book because I realized right away that my name is on the board. I, I'm, I'm responsible. And just fast forwarding a little bit until I read Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink, man, that was an eye opener for me that everything that happens in your business is your, is your responsibility, is your fault. So hundred percent after I read that, I said, well, I better tighten up. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it's been a journey. It's been, it's every, I mean, it is true. You learn something every day and I am actively working to become a better owner, better leader, better business owner every day. So So what do you think the most rewarding thing's been for you to this point? Seeing a team that's actually developed into a team and, and to care about each other. And like, I think any other team, when you start to see, you know, that they, they have personal lives and that that rolls over into their workplace. And so to see a team that supports each other, and that is in some cases cried together 
laughed together and had, you know, and had fun. That's been special. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I think that's to me, probably you get to a point where the adrenaline rush wears off. Right. I mean, I, when you're a producer, it's, it's really no different in my opinion than being a drug addict or a gambling addict or whatever else (laughs) you're going to go out and you're going to get whatever it takes to get your adrenaline pumped up, get that dopamine rush, whatever. And then it goes away and you go out and you do it again and you find that you get less and less excited and you move up to bigger accounts and then it comes back and then bigger accounts. At some point we get to a point where I just, I mean, I love it, but I don't get the same rush that I used to get. I actually get more excited when I can see a new producer go out and get a piece of business that they never would have been able to get or yeah. that, or even that they've taken something that I've taught them and and morphed it and made it work to be able to go out and generate an opportunity and see that through from beginning to end. That is far more rewarding to me than anything that I can accomplish for myself personally at this point. You know, I still like to produce. I still like to make money. I still like to close, but it's just not where my motivation is anymore. And I think that, you know, to me, when my, when my mind and my heart are set on watching other people succeed and me assisting them in doing that, I'm far more effective and the agency is going to be much healthier. There's been too much time where I have been the breadwinner for the agency and I can't operate like that, right? That goes back to what you were saying. You end up being a producer who just happens to have your name on the outside of the building as opposed to being a business owner. And there's no good leader out. I don't think that that the person leading the team should always be the top salesperson. I just don't think, I don't think that they should. No, no. And I don't know if it's, I don't think it's necessarily wrong. I've learned I can't do all things. I, I can't do all the things well that I want to do. Yeah. I, I'm still evolving into a business owner only. I still do some production. I probably do, you know, I'm probably 75% agency owner, 25%, you know. I don't think I'll ever be a hundred, man. I'm with yeah. you. Like I can't, I can't completely abandon it, but I'm, yeah, I agree. And, but I do, I agree with you in the, in I love training our people and setting down. I think that's something that I've, and maybe that just comes with age a little bit too. I think that's something that I've improved on to try and speak in their language, whether it's training or, you know, producing, or even if it's just getting Google reviews, you know, I started something last year of really trying to transition my team from just a service team to a sales aspect and really started pushing that piece of it. And I started doing that by keeping score and kind of gamifying a little bit. And they've enjoyed it and it's taken off. And a part of that was asking for reviews and you see them getting excited about it. And we make a big deal that when they get a review or even a cross sell, that's a win. And our team kind of celebrates a little bit. So yeah, I enjoy that way more than if I sell a policy. I mean, we've done that. I still like doing that. You still want to win. You're still driven by that. That's how you're yeah. wired. Yeah, but- no, but I mean, we we owe it to the people who are on our teams to to give them the best version of us. And sometimes that's not not being the producer. Yeah, to me, a friend of mine asked me one time, like, what's your goal? What's your goal for the agency? <laughs> and, it, and it was, and I, I think he was, you know, I think he was referring to a, a size amount or a, a premium amount. And, and really my answer is, and it's, it's a bit vague, but it's, I want to be great. 
right now I feel like I'm right now I'm good. I think I'm pretty good, but I want to be great. You know, I'm my own worst critic. Will I ever get, I don't know, but as Teresa Kitchens taught me, you know, progress, not perfection. I think I'm striving for perfection. You'll never get there. Right. But, but I just might find excellence. You know, I mean, I think it was, you know, I don't know who said it, it might've been Vince Lombardi that said something of that similar. You strive James, for James Cameron, actually the guy that was the okay. director of Titanic said that if you, if you set your goals high enough and miss them, you still achieve more than everybody else yeah. or something along those lines. Yeah. Lombardi had quotes like that too. Yeah. But that one from, from James Cameron is always, always stuck with me, you know, and I'd say something similar to what you mentioned from Teresa. I, I always, and I, I'm not, I, I 100% ripped this off from somebody. I have, I don't have no recollection who it was. It was probably a famous quote, but I always say that imperfect action will always supersede perfect inaction a hundred percent of the time. And we get you know, we're so worried about everything being absolutely perfect, exactly the way we want it to be before we even start. And you're really doing more damage than good. And, you know, I see this a lot specifically with producers, especially because when I hire a producer, they're not from the insurance industry. So yeah. when I'm bringing... I'm bringing people in that like Kyle who have sold office supplies or office equipment or technology products or whatever. And they don't know anything at all about insurance. I, I tell them it doesn't matter. Like we can yeah. teach, we can teach you that we can send you to get your CIC designation. You have plenty of people here who already have those designations that can make sure you don't screw anything up on the insurance, but you know, there's no such thing as being able to take a USB drive and stick it in your ear hole and download everything you need to know about this industry. I'm almost 20 years deep and I still learn something almost every single day, if not every day. Yeah. You know, and so we we allow ourselves to let all of this fester in our head. And what we really are doing is talking ourselves out of starting. Yeah. You mentioned something earlier, which was not your process, which is my process. Pretty much my process is get started and figure it out as you go. Yeah, I did that with the podcast. I did that with with YouTube. And I don't think I've re really improved a whole lot at, with YouTube, but but I do it and I get some results and you do figure it out as you go and you get comfortable with it. It's a, yeah, agreed. It's the same thing with producing. Yeah, I just I never really understood that because I've kind of been fearless to a certain degree or maybe I was just dumb, you know, but I never let what I didn't know stop me from at least I, going and trying to have the conversation and start it. And I do think that I am resourceful enough that I can figure answers out along the way. I mean, I'm a hundred percent the same way. What do they say? Ready, fire, aim. I mean, that's, that's where I'm at, but I mean, I would rather be that way. And I think what it's, I think what it's taught me, Brad, is it's taught me how to identify where I need to double down and where I need to cut bait much quicker. So, you know, I'll yeah. still make a bad mistake, but I won't live with the bad mistake. Yeah. The one place that I live with a bad mistake more than any other, and thankfully we're not dealing with any of this at this point, but I'm way too patient with a problem and a problem team member, way mm -hmm. too patient. So patient that 
I have to listen to my wife chirp at me at dinner every night when I'm dealing with something at work. We had a lady that was here like two and a half, three years ago, and it was the same thing over and over and over again. And I've always been in the mindset by the time I have to terminate somebody, I'm really just letting them know this was their decision, not mine, because I've given them every opportunity to do the right thing. They know the rules. We've talked about the rules. Here are the three times I've written you up where you've acknowledged that you understand it. You're the one who made the decision not to to follow procedure, right? So I don't have a choice. I can only assume you don't want to work here anymore. But you know, it takes me a really, really, really long time to get to that stage. And that's something I need to do better on. I wasn't good about that when I was earlier in my career. When I was 22 and I was running my ran my first store in the grocery industry, I was the nastiest SOB you would ever meet. <laughs> and I would fire you if you looked at me wrong. And it was funny because one of my best friends on the planet is a dude that was and he was he was my co-manager for a while, but I had promoted him up through the ranks a little bit over time and just extremely loyal to me. Very good friend to this day, but he came down to visit and he just, he, he, he said, what happened to you, man? When did you get soft? You know? (laughs) And I I think it's a different dynamic, man. When you, when your name's on the building, when, when you own everything, when you own the wins, as well as the, the mistakes that you make, that you learn from, you look at it through a different lens, you know, and I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I feel like if I'm bringing somebody in and I I like that person so much that I'm willing to invest in them financially, you know, that to me, that that's a, a big investment for me that they're almost like family at that point. You know, when you yeah. when you have people, especially when you're not dealing with a hundred person agency, you've got a relatively small nucleus to your team. You know, I would tell you that I'm probably more than getting angry or or irritated. I probably get my feelings hurt more than anything else when people don't perform or don't do what I want them to do, because I I take that as personally a personal attack against me. And the other thing is none of us want to lose. Right. None of us want to admit we made a bad decision in hiring somebody or bringing people in. And so I'm probably, there's probably a little bit of that that plays into it too. But that's the one thing that I would say that I probably really need to tighten up more than anything else if we're really going to scale. Because even though I'm being patient, you know, or have in the past have been patient, it really affects the culture of everybody else. And many times people aren't willing to come and tell you that because they don't want to turn on their teammate. But you have to know. I mean, you you have to recognize those things as the leader of the operation. Well, that's hard. That's I I to me, that's the hardest thing that we can do is get rid of someone, even when it's warranted. You know, the people that I've gotten rid of, which is which have all been warranted, but it's difficult. It's by far the hardest thing to do. I I don't have I won't get rid of people very quickly, but you know, I have put a uh, performance plan in place. And if they don't meet that, I believe I give every opportunity I can before I terminate someone. Cause I take, you know, I take that very, very seriously. I'm, and I'm not afraid to admit that I made a mistake and move on. I dwell on it a little bit and then I move on. Like you said, cut bait and, and live with it. I think it's a different thing though, when it's six weeks versus six years or something like yeah. that. You know? Six years. That's a long time. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's where, where it happens to me because I, what, what ends up happening is I tolerate something that manifested itself early on. 
and then I try and course correct, but it's, yeah, it ended up just letting it, I, I don't do a good enough job of fixing it then. And so that person exists, exists, exists. And then it's like, you've been here two years and you're still doing the same thing. It's a lot more difficult for me to, to have that conversation at that point. You know, two, two year, or we always talk about building a culture, um, you know, building a team. Well, that's a fine line um, when you're someone that is going to take away their livelihood that we have yep. to be careful not to cross. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. So talk to me a little bit, man. I know that you're doing virtual professionals. I know you use Savitel like I do. What does that look like for you? And, and were you using virtual professionals before you engaged with, with Savitel or is this your first rodeo? It's the first time using one. I looked at another organization before I started with Savitol. I was uh, virtual assistants seemed like kind of a buzzword in our industry for a long time. I initially wanted nothing to do with it. And it's just something I thought I don't need. Well, as things changed and as we grew and I looked at it as a good opportunity to get some unlicensed work off of our licensed people. So I explored this option and I have, I am pleasantly surprised at the value that I've been able to get out of having a virtual professional. We have her doing so many different things. I didn't, I didn't think that she would be able to do, you know, that many different, uh, that many different tasks. And I mean, we basically, we have her doing things that, you know, my licensed staff doesn't want to do mortgage verifications. She handles about a fourth of our initial, of the initial phone intake. She does a lot of the policy endorsement changes. She handles all of our applications, sending them out for signature, putting them in the file, a lot of our data entry. I've had her, you mentioned Hawksoft earlier. We also use Hawksoft. And so we have in Hawksoft, we have, we get a amount of unmatched documents that, that are downloaded every day. And you mentioned Peggy Corbett. She was just turned on to me or somebody uh, said, that they don't have nearly as many as they did before now that Peggy Corbett got in, involved them. But so unmatched documents are, it's a time consuming, you know, it probably takes, I don't know, I don't do them, but it probably takes about an hour a day. She handles those, which is a huge help for my team. Again, that keeps our licensed people in front of our customers doing licensed tasks. Uh, I have her doing almost all of our uh, personal lines renewal quoting. Hmm. A, a good, a, again, a big time, you know, suck from the rest of our group that she handles almost all that. She's efficient. She's sharp. She's, I mean, she's impressive. And I ended up going with Savital almost because of, I was able to get introduced to their backend support. And I was really impressed with their management with their kind of their service staff. I mean, it was, to me, it was a very impressive organization. So I don't need a second one right now, but when I do, I'll, I'll take one. Yeah. It's, you know, <laughs> I'm going to say something sarcastic people. So I'm just warning you ahead of time. But I mean, when I first started getting involved with networking with other agency principals is when I was initially introduced to IAOA and got in there. And yeah. I felt like that having a VA was part of the IAOA starter pack, right? Everybody <laughs> has one. Everybody, you know, they're talking about their VA, this VA, that. 
it was like a massive buzzword. And I really yeah. didn't think that it made, I, I couldn't understand what I would use a VA Correct. for in my agency, you know? And then I finally realized, you know, I don't even remember what happened that made it click, but you're a hundred percent right. Specific to Savital. I can't speak for anybody else. Cause I haven't really seen their back office operations. And I mean, you know, I know Wes Anderson at agency VA. I'm not going to say anything negative no. about Wes. He's a great guy. And yeah, I used is. his service until, you know, I became involved with Savitel, which became a conflict of interest, but we had great experience with them. I know Andy Priestman never used yeah. his service, but I don't have, I mean, you know, there's just so many different companies out there right now, but you know, I've told, I've told the team at Savitel because one of my responsibilities with them is to really get their marketing message honed in. And I said, everybody else out there right now is sitting here pitching, you know, cheap labor, essentially, right? You know, you can you can get a virtual professional and it's going to it's going to take time, you know, put time back in your calendar. Your labor costs are going to drop and you're not going to suffer. You're actually going to you know get everything done in your agency. And I said, that's not what makes us different. What makes us different is the fact that all of these people have bachelor's degrees. Many of them yeah. have master's degrees. They're extremely intelligent. They have really good skill sets. We need to feature our people, man. The one thing you don't see from any VA company out there is the fact they're featuring their people and showing that their people are what makes them different and they're not humanizing their brand. And I know that you recorded with Troy to talk a little bit about some of your experience, but that's really the whole point in all of that is I wanted it to be, you know, I want people to come to Savitel because they're like, wow, I saw that video and it's amazing that you have people like that, that are virtual professionals. I never, not that anybody else has bad virtual assistance professionals, whatever we're going to call them. It's just, they're different, man. It's they're, they're different than anybody else I've talked to. And I can't say enough good things about them. And my goodness, my, my dude, my dude that dials for appointments for us is absolutely just lighting it on fire. Yeah, that's what he said. So, I can't wait to hear more about that. Yeah, absolutely on fire. I can't tell you how much good. So the biggest issue for us, and I think this is probably the same thing that happens at a lot of agencies you know, the biggest issue for us was we just, you know, it's it's the way we've always done it. You know, the we have we have ways we do things, but nothing's formalized, nothing was documented. And so we had to, it's one of the reasons why Peggy's here is so that she can actually having run a, a successful agency and knowing all of this stuff, it's honestly cheaper for me to hire somebody to come in than me to research, figure it out, try and implement it, figure out if that worked. And then, you know, course correct. She knows everything that needs to be done, has it and can deliver it. And so from that perspective, that makes all the sense in the world. But, you know, I don't know if you guys use Tango or not, but that's one of the oh. biggest things. Tango.us is one of the best things that's ever happened to me. And I, I owe it to Ciara Gravier to give her credit for introducing me to it. But I, you know, we just made it a point that we're going to try and capture a different workflow every day of something we're doing. And we've got a knowledge base, whether that goes to the virtual professional or if it's going to go to somebody that we hire here, we've got those processes and procedures on lockdown. Yeah, no, I've been wanting to check out Tango.us. And a lot of people ask about for a virtual professional, well, how did you, how did you train? How did you get them going? I prepared more for our virtual professional than I have for any other staff that I've come on board because I anticipated it being a challenge. Anytime you have somebody that's hundred percent remote, it's going to be an additional challenge. And we don't use Tango, but I did for, I just started, 
I started simple, right? I mean, I started with three tasks and I trained on this task, specifically with Hawksoft, how to make a note, how to make a document. I made Loom videos, how to make a, a mortgage verification. But what I quickly found was that she mastered those really so quickly <laughs> that, that I wasn't yeah. prepared for phase two. And yeah, so isn't that, isn't that crazy. Yeah. So which which, of course, I learned, well, if I wasn't prepared enough on the on the front end and I was prepared for the quoting, but with, you know, with the quote, not prepared enough. So I would advise anybody that's going to take one on. I mean, make a list of, you know, seven to 10 things that you want them to do in their lifetime. Have it prepared, written out, make have your written process, have your videos prepared because you're going to get to them faster than you think. And then your process will go that your VA will be that much more valuable. You won't spend as much time answering questions, you know, because otherwise that's what you're going to be doing unless you have an operations person or someone else in the office is going to take care of that for you. Yeah. So the beauty of Tango is you don't have to slow down to do the video. You don't have to explain it. So what Tango does is it's web-based, but it also has a desktop version. The, the desktop version, I think, is part of the upgrade. It's free for the web-based and you can do 25 workflows a month. Mm. But if I'm doing something online, you know, quoting or whatever, I literally go in and it's a Chrome extension. I click start workflow. I go into the website. I do everything I would do at my normal speed. Every time I click my mouse, Tango captures a screenshot and describes what I did. And when you're wow. done, it creates a PDF of the workflow that's ready for you. You can clean it up a little bit um, if you need to add some more to it because it didn't get the the um, thing exact, but it's ready to go, man. And you don't lose any time creating it. So it, it's really an awesome tool that has changed our ability to capture the things that we do every day that are just so routine in such a way that people can, can learn and replicate that. The other thing that I realized, especially after talking to virtual professionals for a while is they rather would have the PDF than the video. It's much mm. easier for you to yeah. flip a page and look than it is for you to you know go back to yeah. where you were and start and stop and all of that. So I would, I would encourage you, man. It doesn't cost you yeah, anything to try out. it for the web stuff. It, it's been a, a big game changer for us. So, well, listen, we've been going almost an hour. What have we missed? What do you want people to know that they don't already? Man, I don't, I don't know. Uh, it's, been, it's been a pleasure to be here and uh, chop it up with you a little bit. So yeah. thank you very much for having me. Appreciate oh, my it. My pleasure, man. I'm, I'm yeah. sorry. Kyle wasn't here too. Yeah. I wanted to meet him. He, um, he he's literally out on the road running like a fiend good. today. So that's good. good. I'm, I'm happy for him for that. I would much rather he be doing that. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, things have been good. Well, listen, how, if people have questions, they want to talk to you, you know, about your experience, talk to you about the podcast, what it's like moving from being an agent to an owner, all of that stuff. How do they get a hold of Brad Bolt? Yeah. LinkedIn's a good way. You can email me. Email is B Bolt, B B O L D T at Amerigard, A-M-E-R-I dash guard, G-U-A-R-D.com. And yeah, love to connect. Podcast is agents to owners on most of the podcast platforms. So yeah, check it out. Cool deal. I encourage everybody to, I think this is something that you're going to hear more and more about in our industry is uh, we continue to transition. We're at, we're at a tipping point right now. We, you know, we've got a lot of older, more legacy people out there. They're going to be uh, exiting and we need to be able to backfill and bring new talent in. So 
I encourage you to check out agents to owners. I also encourage you to check out what Miles Merwin's doing with yeah. producers to principals. You guys have a lot of synergies in, in what's going on and certainly have, have both had plenty of experience to to share with other people. So I'm I'm just thankful you spent the time to come come on and chat for a little bit today, Brad. It's it's certainly not um you know, an easy thing to run an agency. So to ask for an hour out of somebody's day to talk in the middle of it is, is a lot. So I, it means a lot to me that you would come on. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Everybody else. We'll catch you next time. We're going to be recording fast and furiously. Now that we've got our calendars blocked, we used to record like this, just whenever somebody had time. And now we've started moving this next week will be our first time that we record from one to five on Mondays only. And now wow. we're not going to be doing any more podcast stuff the rest of the week. So that's the only way we can do it to be, still be able to drop three episodes a week. But Mondays is a wash for us anyhow, because the first half of the day is all sales and operations meetings anyhow. So it's just easier to do it all at the same time. Everybody, we'll catch you next time. See ya. See ya. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. 